1: Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. I have the pleasure of a... A guest who I just met here now, um, but I've been a an incredible fan of the Twitter account uh, for a long time, used uh, your Practicing Christian Doctrine book in my entry-level theology courses that I've taught. Um, and so I'm very excited to have Dr. Beth Felker-Jones with me today. So thanks so much for being here.
2: Yeah, thanks for that kindness. Really glad to be with you.
1: Um I'm gonna read this from the screen here for those who are actually watching, but uh Dr. Jones is and Dr. Jones is right, right? Is that how you typically go by yes. All so right. the
2: filter is my middle slash maiden name.
1: Ah, okay. I mean
0: I'll um, have a but, Jones. Yeah.
1: well that's I go by I have Gabriel pretty much in everything my middle name because Aaron Ross is the most bland white. It's
0: true.
2: A middle name middle helps name. helps you yeah. be found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: just a little. Uh but Dr. Jones is a professor of theology at Northern Seminary, author of many books, um, and particularly one that, that I think will help conver- our conversation today, but um, Faithful, A Theology of Sex, Practicing Christian Doctrine, the one I talked about, and God the Spirit, Introducing Pneumatology in Wesleyan and Ecumenical Perspectives, among other. But today we're talking about uh, not just the controversy, but then the whole world maybe around that controversy of the uh, Gospel Coalition, their recent um, piece that they released. I keep forgetting this gentleman's name.
2: Uh, Josh Butler.
1: Josh Butler. You know, maybe I just I have blocked the name out. And, you know, I don't want to be mean towards him, but I've just kind of tried to block it out. You know, his book, a lot of the things surrounding that, if you aren't familiar with that conversation, We'll be into it, but before we do, Dr. Jones, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to my audience, anything you want them to know about you, your academic career, your family life, whatever it is, we'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll try to be brief, it's not that interesting, but uh, I teach theology at Northern Seminary near Chicago. I love it, the students are amazing uh, and uh, we'd love to have you come take a look. I love to write um, both sort of more academically, but also for the church uh, and uh, in a way that is uh, accessible to people. I'm a big fan of communication Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm pretty much a reading and writing nerd. So that's all I do except hang with my family uh four kids, two dogs, a cat, uh, and a husband of almost 25 years. So um we're a little menagerie and we're always busy, but it's a blessing. Yeah.
1: I think my life's busy with a wife, a child, and a dog. So I can't imagine adding more kids and pets to that scenario.
2: You know, the the more the merrier in some ways um in some ways it gets easier I think. The less intensely one is focused. So mm. <laughs> that's what I'm ready That's to some know.
1: good encouragement. Thank you. I, I needed that. Um, Dr. Jones, uh, one of the reasons, so our, our mutual friend, Chris Green, you know, him and I, during this whole controversy, right? And again, if you don't know it, the article is down now, the Gospel Coalition. Published an article, which was an excerpt of the first chapter of Josh Butler's book, uh, uh, as I still think forthcoming out book, or maybe it's I don't Please know. See. I haven't
0: mm-hmm. I haven't okay.
1: seen if they've pulled it or not. But, um, and it and it really sexualized almost to the point, in the, my words, of of fetishizing. I don't know if that's a real word, but kind of this imagery of sex in relation to God and or Christ in the church, and then men with their wives. Um And it was all, already strange, but then this whole world happened of people recognizing, rightly so, criticizing that, the Gospel Coalition responding with, no, no, you don't understand, here, just have a little bit more information you'll understand, and then more criticism, people endorsing the book who hadn't read the book. I mean, it was just kind of this massive world of blah and hurtful, unhelpful weirdness. Um and that's pr- thing, right? yeah. probably putting it lightly too, right? I mean, my conversation with my wife is probably a bit more um, extreme in the language when we, I first read this. But Dr. Jones, you've been a wonderful conversation person. If if anyone hasn't, I, you know, I sat down one day, I, I, sitting down. Kind of the weekend after this whole happened, I was like, all right, I'm going to write a blog for Everyday Theology and just go through not just how bad this piece is, but also these endorsers and why why we have created this weird capitalistic Christian world that allows for things like this to happen, and then we defend it. Uh, and then I was texting Chris, and Chris said, well, have you read Beth's article? And I said, no. And he sent it to me, and I said, I have nothing to say. She said <laughs> absolutely everything much better than I could ever say it and he said well let's get you in contact i said wonderful so that was my summary i just want to hear from you and i want our listeners to hear from you like when you first kind of read this article and you first kind of got introduced to this engagement because i don't read the gospel coalition very often if ever unless something like this kind of happens um so so where were you in this process and then we'll start talking about the actual ideas
2: yeah, my full summary and um, a lot of thoughts about it are available there on my Substack. um uh, I, too, don't read a lot of Gospel Coalition. I, I generally want to spare myself, though there are some good people writing there. Um, right, right. Overall, classes is not mine. Um, but this thing blew up uh, on Twitter and, and social media uh, because uh, the author of the piece, uh, Josh Butler, used really excessive rhetoric i think uh, to say something which i suspect uh many complementarians and gospel coalition people say all the time uh with less uh, excessive rhetoric um so uh he used just almost porny uh language mm-hmm. uh, describe the sex act. Uh, He began uh, with uh, the metaphor in Ephesians 5, which compares marriage uh, to uh, Jesus's relationship with the church. Um, But then from there, immediately goes away from the biblical text and into this uh, really deeply sexualized, eroticized, male-centered take on, on, on what that means, right? Right. Um, so what's so tricky here is we have a beautiful biblical metaphor, central to scripture, right? Uh, God's love for us being in some ways like a marriage. Um, and some people think, well, surely that's okay. Uh, it's a biblical metaphor, Um the problem is not the use of the metaphor, but the misuse of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's being right. misused in ways that are just really problematic theologically. Um, and then bad for men and women um, in their understanding of relationship uh, with each other. Uh, bad for a theology of sexuality and for a theology of Christian relationship uh, and community. So um, I don't know how explicit we want to be about the porniness of the language, but I'll (laughs) I'll just say, I I look at this world a fair amount and I still had to say to myself, did he just say what I think he said? Mm, Um, And read back over a sentence um, uh, to confirm that, yeah, he he
0: did.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to probably get too far into that uh, and give it any more life. You know, if the listener is not aware, it was more of kind of a giver receiver type of language that I don't know if that's the line. That was the line particularly that I was...
2: Yeah, I think that's the the structure. So he describes man as generous or giver, uh, and woman as uh, hospitable or receiver. That's right,
1: hospitable. Uh, oh, and
2: that's not that's not an idea he's come up with on his own. Um, it's pretty deep in some of this way of thinking. In some ways, it's borrowed from a Catholic theology of the body, though in a really irresponsible way that I mm. don't think good Catholics would be a fan of either. So.
1: Right, right. So so maybe kind of start there because, like I said, we don't want to recount that language and. Give it any more life. But this isn't just Josh. This is a larger world, particularly complementarian worlds that, in their view of women, uh, not all, but I would maybe venture to say most, if they may not say it expressly, it's kind of there behind the scenes, right? Maybe help the listeners kind of understand what is this world we're talking about, this complementarian world with this perception of the body, perception of male and female, and that gives birth to what, you know, Josh did,
2: so to speak. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, I think this is a newer development in complementarian world. Um, uh, 1980s style, uh, beginnings of complementarianism tend to focus on exegesis of really particular biblical texts, right? Mm -hmm. How shall we understand wives submit to your husbands in in Ephesians five? And this goes a lot of steps further, um, and again, I think in a really dangerous way, in creating a whole worldview and understanding of reality, which claims uh, that men have one essential nature to be givers, right, um, right. and that we have this other essential nature to be receivers, uh, nothing like that is going on in Ephesians, uh, right. Course right? Um, uh, and uh, so then it it takes uh, one way of describing one part of, of male-female uh, embodied life um, and essentialize it into a whole understanding of what it means to be male and female sort of in reality, right? Um, right. Uh, it's not just, uh, I'm reading Ephesians 5 and I think wives should submit to their husbands. It's wives are essentially receivers. That's who we are. That's what we're looking for, right? Um, Well,
1: not right, but I'm agreeing (laughs) with your assessment.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, that also gets attached to a kind of uh, sacralizing of one view of marriage and a sacralizing of one view of sex, right? Which then can be used to, to underwrite violence and abuse, um, as well as just the idea that again, women are really for this, um, mm, for yeah. sex, uh, perhaps also for reproduction, uh, and, uh, men have lots of things perhaps to give to the world, uh, but, uh, women, uh, have
1: less. Right. Which, which, I mean, even just beginning to extrapolate that you start to see, I would hope those in that place would start to see the problems in relation to what about someone who can't, have a child or what someone who doesn't want a child. Like now, you know, we, we start to recognize the, the big holes, but particularly as it relates to abuse, right. And things that we're probably saying with.
0: Singleness,
2: right. If you're going right. to say sex is an icon of salvation, which Josh Butler said, yeah, um, uh, are we cutting single people off uh, from uh, experiencing that icon of salvation? Um, and are we sort of paganizing sex and bringing it into a, our ritual and worship life in a way that is forbidden um, mm, yeah. to Jews. So yeah, uh, yeah. Off, I think on the violence, the piece about violence. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And, and oh, I would love to get in the singleness thing. Cause you know, m- just m- my own life, my wife and I got married much later in life than the average. Mm-hmm. And and that's been a long part of that conversation of how kind of unhelpful the church is in relation to that conversation. But I, I don't want to distract us. I just really want to have that conversation too. Um, but yeah, right. I mean, we see, and I don't want to call people out, but I think it's helpful to see it in context when we think about the Southern Baptist Church and what they're going through now with these FBI investigations and these uh, exposés kind of showing this allowing sexual abuse to happen within the church and then not really dealing with it because there's this power dynamic of men and women and what women have to do in relation to man's failure right and their abuse
2: and a number of victims of abuse report just this kind of language being used by their abusers right this is sacred this is this is a gift, uh, which is horrifying. Uh, we see similar language um, in some of the recent revelations about the, um, uh, I can't say his name properly, Jean Vanier, Jean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sexual abuse can is a very similar language, right, about the sacredness um, uh, of, of sex being twisted. Uh, uh, in this way, and then just the fundamental asymmetry, right? If if man is the giver, the active one, right, uh, the one right. with a present uh, to to offer, and woman is the receiver, uh, passive, right, hollow, nothing, nothing to give, um, then uh, that justifies um, an idea that man can act, right, uh, in, in whatever way he wants, that perhaps. Right. He's justified to do so. Um, the Josh Butler um, book even takes that language of hospitality for women um, and notes, notes, accuses, horrifyingly says uh, that women are prone to the temptation of inhospitality, um, hmm. by which he specifically means not having sex. Yeah, right. Um, that's that's just a dangerous grounds for violence right there. Right. Right. Plus just not a good basis for thinking about a happy, healthy sex life in a marriage. So
1: yeah, yeah. that, that like I'm fixing you. So (laughs) right. Like, like you might be inhospitable, but I can do this because it's actually correcting your sinfulness is such a grounds,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's,
1: I think what's scary or what's crazy to me is that like i i guess i just don't understand why these persp- these perspectives especially how theologically harmful they are exegetically just unfaithful they are how they persist uh i i don't know if you have any thoughts i just i i it, it's hard for me to fathom that those thoughts can kind of persist and and not just you know the underlying Attitudes and things that, that men might do with they without expressing this language, but the fact that this language can even be expressed
0: yeah, yeah.
1: blows my mind. Right.
2: I, I think it persists, you know, because it's um good in some ways for a lot of men, not truly good, right? But right. in that they're getting they're getting power, they're getting privilege, they're they're getting what they would like. And it persists because it's cloaked in this religious language, which says. To both men and women, this is what God wants, right? And if you right. like and you want to uh, be obedient to God, then you might not question what you're told that God wants. Um, I think it also persists because we have just a lot of deep things in our ways of thinking, which underwrite uh, something like that giver-receiver dynamic. In some ways, it's there in Aristotle, right? Uh, It's there in uh, deeply Western ways of thinking about maleness and femaleness. Um, And then uh, it's justified uh, to some extent and in Roman Catholic theology, and definitely in this uh, Protestant uh, misappropriation of Catholic theology as a sort of obvious feature of bodies, right? Um, right. Look, look at genitals. They're obviously forgiving and receiving. Um, right. It's not that obvious, right? Um, uh, women give birth. Um, so one can really easily. Yeah um, recontextualize that reading, but if you make it sound obvious, right. Uh, if you make it sound natural, then, uh, it's easy to, uh, continue to, um, claim that anybody who says otherwise is just denying nature, denying the goodness of bodies even. Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you saying that about, um, you know, giving birth, you know, I, one of the best people and she was just in my podcast and I just, I still, I keep pushing people back to that podcast was, you know, Amy Peeler and her kind of language on Mary and, and recapturing the, the ways in which women give through the story of Mary is so important that because, because this like perception that Josh has amongst other, you know, um, Oh, I'm going to forget his name. Again, see, these. there's these guys who I just like, I unfortunately, I have to engage with their thoughts, but then I try to put the, you know, what's his name? Out in California, I always think of him as the guy who thinks that Pentecostals are heretics. Yeah, McCart, um, right? Yeah, McCart Well, I just because I grew up Pentecostal and I would still identify as Pentecostal. The audacity
2: well. of thinking Pentecostals are heretics, right? You're just writing off most of Christians.
1: So. Yeah, most, right? Yeah, the, <laughs> probably the largest non-Catholic and maybe even when it comes to catholic right so you know when we talk about kind of that language i maybe i can ask one of two questions and i'll just whichever one you feel like is the better one to kind of go down the path you know one do we you know how do we correct that ephesians 5 reading and in, in helpful ways which is actually much more about mutuality and giving than it is about one giver and one receiver but then what is especially in light of your book to help kind of both tease your book and and get people thinking this way when we start talking about this thing like a theology of sex how do we start the conversation in better more helpful places that allow people to walk down the path in more faithful ways i'm trying to put it as correct as i can without you know demonizing any group but how do we kind of help foster better language or better thoughts so whichever one you think is your your path or both
2: I'm going to go ultra Protestant here, and I think it's the right move. Um, We need to stick closely to the biblical text. Uh, I agree. Look at Ephesians five; uh, you'll see husbands being asked to have love their wives as Christ loved the church, which is uh, kind of self-sacrificial giving. Now, Butler does read men in sex as being self-sacrificial, but that's a very odd and hard to uh, sustain. Mm sort of reading, right? Um, and what isn't in the text, anything specific about genitals or, or how right. uh, sex works. Um, and uh, it, I, it, if that's the only thing I have to say here, let's, let's stick with what scripture yeah. says about the metaphor, um, then yes, let's do so. And then I think the other thing is to say, um, this is a metaphor, Right. Um, How do metaphors work? Uh, They tell us something and they also have a limit. Uh mm-hmm. they they work and they don't work. And that's the whole beauty of the thing. And the reason that scripture uses so many metaphors for God and that we have to think about God in metaphors is we can understand God and we also can't understand God.
0: Right. Mm, right. So a
2: metaphor like marriage, it, it works and it doesn't work for helping us to understand God. Right there in Ephesians 5, right, uh Paul says, uh, husbands uh love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that seems to be pretty clearly about, about uh self-sacrifice, right? About uh, letting go of patriarchal privilege, maybe uh, in order yeah. to, um, in order to love and serve. And then he says, uh, as Christ, I'm, I don't have the words exactly right here, but uh, as Christ uh, washes her by water with the word, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's the limit of the metaphor. Paul, has, Paul does not think husbands save their wives by washing them with water in the word because I've read Paul, right? I know. Right. Um, so he's running with the metaphor. He's, he's giving us a place that connects to husbands and then a a limit, right? Here's where it does not connect connect to husbands. Here is where it is not about. It is not about salvation, right? Uh, it's about a way of relating to each other, uh, in mutual and self-giving. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, we need more nuance. We need to be better readers. We need to appreciate the beauty of a metaphor and the beauty of uh, it not telling us stuff, uh, yeah. even if it does tell us stuff, uh, if that makes right.
1: sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think for anyone who has taken a basic college level biblical hermeneutics course, like the, your first one, you, 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 quickly learn, right. That metaphor does not create doctrine. And then we have to be really careful with taking any kind of metaphor and immediately applying it to here's your doctrinal statement, your theological truth, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's not what they're built for. And we typically get into a lot of trouble when we take metaphors this way, right? Like they are to help, but they are not themselves one-to-one doctrinal statements. And- Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go ahead.
2: Part of the reason this makes me so mad is this is a beautiful metaphor that's doing yeah. a good work. And then to take it and to boulderize it in this way, right? And to use it for patriarchy um, and for <sighs> porniness, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so gross and, and so hurtful, and it's idolatry and um, and abuse, and it makes me really angry. Now,
1: yeah, I, I, you know, I think it should, right? Like, I mean, the the fact that these things we. You know, we have to be careful, of course, with anger theologically, right? We can, we can whole other conversation again. But like, there is, quote unquote, righteous anger, right? I, I'm hesitant to use that language because people have misused that so very often, right? But the, especially when it comes to how we take scripture and we, and this will be my word now, bastardize it to do the things with it that we want to do with it, and then claim exegesis out of it. There's nothing deeper of spiritual manipulation than to claim it as the exegetical correct reading because it does the thing that I need it to do when I Mm want it to do it, right? And
2: when does Jesus get angry? When you're selling things in the temple, right? Yeah. Um, uh, And selling books, (laughs) selling endless uh, expensive uh, gospel coalition meetings. I guess there won't be any more, but... uh, Selling sex, um, uh, taking women's bodies, which are temples, uh, mm-hmm. and turning them into mm-hmm. sites for a transaction. Yeah, I think that fits.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. A of righteous anger. <laughs> uh,
1: let alone endorsing books you claim to have not read. Um,
2: right. I no. appreciate the apology there, uh, but yeah, um, obviously, we need to read a book if we're going endorsing.
1: Yeah. I haven't kept up with it too much. There was one who made an apology. One who made an apology, but then kind of was like, "But I, it was my fault too." And uh, Josh shouldn't be at fault. It's me. And the Gospel Coalition's got their problems. And then there was one that wasn't an apology at all.
2: Yeah, and I then, haven't kept up with it super closely either. Yeah.
1: And then there was one who still endorsed the book, which, again, it, it kind of ran the gamut, right? Like, it was very interesting, some of those responses.
2: There was one apology that I thought was fairly well done. Um, yeah. And right to admit a wrong, all right? And not yeah. Having it at all. Um, uh, but I haven't followed the details particularly.
1: So maybe on to that second question, if you feel we can go, we can go there, right? What are some of the ways that that, particularly in light of this controversy, uh, better yet, the the real need for the critical evaluation of these conversations, right? Um, How do we set up people to have these conversations in ways that are better, to help them think through them? Um, And whether that's the theology of sex or the the theology of the body, theology of, of, you know, mutuality between men and women, whatever it is, like, what what would you say, especially because you'd like talking about books that are for the church right like how would you approach this conversation with people who are going well wait a second i actually just kind of thought that way that josh talked about but now i'm starting to see maybe there's some problems here
2: many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to
0: partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: I could probably talk about this uh, forever. Um, uh, I'll just hone in on, on one way that I have tried to talk about it specifically in relationship to the Bible's uh, marriage metaphor, um, uh, and... Uh, As I look at the way that metaphor happens throughout scripture, right? Uh, In Hosea, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Ephesians, uh, and in Revelation, I'm probably missing some as well, right? Uh, It seems, uh, I I would make the case that the focus of that metaphor there is God's faithfulness to us, right? Hmm. Uh, Marriage as a relationship of covenant faithfulness um, in which uh, we may, by grace, Get a chance to show the world something about what a faithful god looks like right i got um, this in our um, uh, in our brokenness Um, and uh, it would take me a long time right to make the argument of why i think that's a better reading than a uh, sex act focused reading Uh, but i do think the biblical texts bear it out and so again let's return to scripture here too and not just to reading scripture all alone or just with one blogger. Um, right. But with the great tradition of the faith, right? Um, There's so many mm-hmm. resources for us out there. And unfortunately, Christian commercialism often sells us cheap, unthought resources. Um, uh, when we could get so much more right so another just fun and interesting resource here is um, the Christian traditions commentary on the song of songs right what's going on with the song of songs. Um, how do we explain this this love poem that is around? right It is about desire, uh, and most of the tradition has said yes that's about the metaphor between God and marriage or God and, and love for his people. but. It's also then immediately recognized the limits of the metaphor and said, we know this can't be about a crass interpretation of genitalia. Uh, That doesn't mean genitals are bad. Genitals are good. God made them. God loves them. Right. Um, But they, they're not something that we can use to know God. Right. Right. Um, That is God other. Right. Uh, Right. So it can't be about that. It must be about something else. Let's, let's imagine what that could be. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, just one example, Gregory of Nyssa, right, um, takes a moment in the Song of Songs uh, about uh, the lover uh, uh, resting between the loved one's breasts. And he says, well, what's up with breasts? He, is, he immediately assumes it can't really be right? <laughs>
0: right. The,
2: the location of the heart. That's the center of the being from which everything else flows. This must be about how the church in God is filled with God from our very center and like arteries that flows out to every part of the body, so that the whole body can simmer with the spirit.
0: Mm. Now, I love is Gregory.
2: That, is that the right only? Yeah. Way? Maybe no, right? Um, but it's a lot more biblically bound than breasts are awesome, right? right. <laughs> Even though, again, breasts are good. God made them. God loves them. Uh, but they're not. They don't belong in ritual worship. <laughs> yeah.
1: you don't. You don't have to go far too with. Christ and the vine and the branches to kind of see this connection between that that reality of the connectedness, right? It's about the connectedness, not about the body part, right? And I think that's yeah, that's really good. You know, I, it's it's,
2: and that does bless physical intimacy in marriage, right? It's a right. it's a beautiful place where we learn something about what connectedness looks like, um, but it's not all that
1: yeah it, it seems that the church in general has this kind of weird it it really doesn't know what to do with sexuality you know i even just growing up as a kid it was the thing that no one talked about and then i remember this like this uh like trend and i think it was late 90s maybe early 2000s maybe through the 2000s where i remember seeing billboards from churches of like men and women's feet coming out of the bedspread and like let's talk about sex and it was like it was like a, all of a sudden, now the big thing and then uh, you know and it was always kind of like this like idolized thing like it was just couldn't be talked about in ways that are just saying this is an aspect of, of human life and connectedness that is that is a good thing and but it's also not all these other things that we try to make it you know yeah. it, it just why why is especially with writing the book on it uh why is it that the church has just had a hard time having this conversation in healthy ways and we rather than kind of going in these kind of polar extremes with them
2: yeah because we're sinners i suppose But, you know, I think that billboard, it's motivated from a good place, right? Uh, many Christians have felt that they grew up with a prudish idea of sex, right? Uh, that sex was sort of inherently evil. Uh, that is wrong. And that is unbiblical. Uh, sex is a good gift from God. So we should reclaim that goodness. But then the reclaim went off the rails, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, uh, into a certain celebration of eroticism, um, instead into of a kind of measured in a more biblically controlled, uh, view of the goodness of, of sexuality. Um, and often ignoring the many ways that sex is abused, right. Um, yeah. and that kind of wild reclamation can become, uh, uh, underwriting, uh, for, for abuse. So often we're swinging back and forth against, you know, we're making corrections. My church was too prudish. I'm going to correct to putting up this billboard. Right. Right. <laughs> um, right. Uh, and maybe it's the, the right direction but the wrong specifics
1: uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah yeah which kind of leads to josh's pornish as you've noted language right because now it's well everything's redeemed and i'm just going to use it to its extreme particularly because i hope it's going to sell this book right like help provide sales uh might have done the opposite unfortunately but maybe, fortunately i guess in this instance for him um <laughs>
2: Whoever, whoever offered the book deal was sure
1: hoping that, right? I hope For sure they were, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of back to this, you know, egalitarian, complementarian debate, right? When we think about, I don't want to say it, it shouldn't be a debate, but that's a whole other issue. But um, when we think about that, you know, bringing context again for some of the listeners, you know, it's, it's seen... And sometimes what we think are non-harmful ways, or it's seen in ways that maybe we don't recognize these complementarian claims or these kind of masculine kind of patriarchal claims. And just to use one example, like in churches, when pastors will stand up and be like, look at my hot, beautiful wife. How did I ever... That she's... Right? Because that that thing happens so frequently again. In fact, just a couple weeks before this Gospel Coalition thing, there was the pastor who was kind of made known on Twitter again. I mean, if you ever just go to Twitter, it's not hard to find these bad preacher clips. I think there's even a Twitter called bad preacher clips, where he talked about this like sexualized again. He was young and he was just married and there was this waitress who had this perfect body and blah, 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 and went on and on and on about how beautiful this was. And, you know, my wife and I were talking about, I'm like, he's just, look at, he's just saying this for himself. Look at me i had someone who was like this trying to come at me and look at how i resisted because i'm a, like it it always kind of puts women particularly because we have more men preachers clearly and because i've never heard a woman preacher go hey there's this one time this smoking hot guy came up like it's it's so different
2: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: i, I, I want to ask why I, I think the answer is because we're sinners and because guys are dumb but There's a lot of more to that, but how do we kind of recognize what I think happens is that happens a lot in church and everyone just laughs and ha, 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 like, or like, you know, yeah, you must really love your wife because you're standing up and telling us all about how hot you think she is. but, But people don't recognize this is the product of that, is it not?
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so, again, I think uh, credit where credit due, the good motivation is probably saying sex is good, marriage is good, bodies are good, good gifts from God, all good things right. to say, right? But then taken in an imaginative direction that is all sinful culture and almost no Bible, right? Right. What does our culture give props to men for? Sexual conquests, right?
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. What
2: are Christian pastors not allowed to have sexual conquests? So how can they uh, get props for being men who are really into sex while still being chased? They can talk about how much that waitress wanted them and how much they love their hot wife, right? Right. Um, uh, I've, I've contained it in this Christian context, but I'm still that high school boy who's in a competition to see mm. how many notches I can get on my belt in my gross club, right? Yeah. Um, I'm still displaying my my patriarchal prowess um, uh, for the approbation of my audience, and it works. People love it.
1: And don't you wish you had this like I did, like I do, where I, you know what I mean, right? Like it's kind of that.
2: I want to be you. I want to be that guy, right? Yeah. Hot waitress wants. Yeah.
1: Which really falls in line with the way that we've kind of gotten into this preaching cycle of these personal anecdotes, these personal like. You know, unfortunately, sometimes it feels like follow me like I follow Christ, but it's a sinful person and not an apostle who claims his own sinfulness, right? Um,
2: follow me like I follow Christ, right? Yes. Oh, yes. not the other ways. Yes. Not
1: as I, right? Like, exactly. And it, this is like a whole cultural Milu that we have just not gotten around, and it feels like as much as there are some positives happening, these negatives are just still circulating. I guess maybe my question is, give us hope. And then that's not a question, that's a statement, a plea, a cry. Like, how do we as the church better, especially like for the listeners here and whoever might hear this, but just like, how do we, how do, we do this better? Like, how do we help create and foster better places around this conversation of men and women, of bodies, of sex, that are going to help make change over time? Because it feels like it's just too slow in coming, right?
2: Yeah. Um, It's hard work trying to be faithful together in a fallen world. But here's the hope, right? God is better than that. Uh, God's word is better than that. Uh, It holds out for us a vision of the loving, faithful God um, who does care about our bodies, right? And who loves us, uh, male and female, and uh, who wants us uh, to flourish, uh, all of us, not just the male ones. Um, Right. And the male ones can, in fact, really flourish too, because it takes all of us flourishing for any of us to flourish. Um, th- that's the hope, right? Um, mm. And you know, I think we do reap some of the good fruit of that. Um, I think that women's rights came to us from scripture. I don't think we mm. got. To, I don't think we got to the votes for women uh, without God created him them in His own image, male and female, right? Right um now does most of secular democracy now recognize that no right do many christians now recognize that no but i think there is nevertheless salting our world uh salting yeah
1: i like like it yeah
2: yeah um uh, and we're reaching towards you know god's future um uh in which things are good right right in which things are good. And we see examples of that, right? We see beautiful lives lived, uh, beautiful marriages, beautiful lives of singleness, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. In which we actually see other Christians uh, showing us something true about the faithful God. Um, And that's inspiring and um, uh, empowers our own testimonies too. Um, So I'm gonna complain about all the problems, but um, I'm living in the hope
1: yeah right yeah it's the 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 prophetic eschatological view right calling out things as they should be today in the hope of what they're going to be tomorrow um, is I think our task right now maybe if you have a few more minutes and you can definitely say no But if you have a few more minutes I do want to talk about that singleness thing (laughs) right because that is a part of this whole conversation and especially when you know going full circle back to the josh butler article this idea that he really correlates sex to salvation and then there's this idea of singleness particularly in, in multiple ways whether it's singleness because someone has chosen celibacy or singleness because someone feels they need to because they might identify as homosexual and they've said okay well i'm gonna now i'm gonna be single as a practice of my christian faith like, first off we'll start with why has it been the perception that singleness is bad and then how do we correct that view to kind of say no no actually singleness is just as good and holy as someone who is married
2: yeah yeah so i saw a piece yesterday called if we cancel josh butler we'll have to cancel augustine um Mm. and i can tell you augustine would be flummoxed uh because he thinks singleness is better than marriage and his crazy act of sex positivity is to go against Jerome, who thinks that marriage is bad and singleness is good. No, no, says Augustine, marriage is good and singleness is better.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, it's it's important that he says marriage is good. That's bodies are good, you know, all a good gift from God. But the early church is deeply entranced with the idea of singleness uh, as a holy calling. Mm. Uh, It's Jesus's own calling, right? Um, And it's a way of life that lets some early Christians take themselves, take their bodies out of the economy of the empire, right? Right. Uh, Where you're supposed to get married for social status reasons and to have babies who will be soldiers. It's on. you can take your Hmm. body out of that and devote it to the Lord, right? Yeah. uh, full-time to the Lord and women who had to be married to have protection suddenly don't have to be married to have protection. The church will protect them. Right. Yeah. So they can devote their bodies full-time to the Lord instead of to the empire. Right. So we have these early Christian women who, uh, are martyred for refusing marriage because they say they only want Jesus. (laughs) Now that's really weird to us, but it's a beautiful testimony to this alternative vision of life. Um, And uh, the early church would be baffled by this elevation of of sexuality and marriage. Of course, Augustine uses the Bible's marriage metaphor, um, but he would be really horrified by Butler's use of it, I can promise. Uh, when we get to the Protestant Reformation, uh, one of the abuses going on in late medieval Roman Catholicism uh, has to do with the uh, supposedly celibate clergy not being celibate. Uh, Protestants say um, the clergy doesn't have to be celibate. Um, and in fact, monks and nuns are not better than the rest of us. All of us right. are the priesthood of all believers. Even married life is good, right? A, a radical thing to say, um, the right thing to say. But it gets overdone. Uh, right, Protestants then come to elevate marriage over uh, singleness um, in ways that I think get us to where we're at today. So we need a way to say both ways of life are good, um, and it's not a hard all or nothing. Even for someone who is married for fifty years, right? Uh, there's. T- point 20 years before that marriage, right. right. Uh, maybe a decade after the passing of one spouse, I've been teaching undergrad so long, right. And watching them long for marriage, right. Uh, right. Uh, what if we spent our not married time, whether it's all of our time or 20 years of our time, what if we spend it for Jesus, right. Um, and as a married woman, frankly, I mean, I love being married. I love my husband and my kids. It's a gift. It's a blessing, My fantasies are about being alone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
0: uh,
2: Probably they're about being alone for selfishness, right? So I can read and eat chocolate. Um, But what if they were about being alone for Jesus so that I could pour out more of my time and space and body for Jesus? That's Paul's vision uh, for singleness. Um, We've bought the lie that you have to have sex to be happy and fulfilled. Uh, We've bought the lie that no one can go without sex, uh, we've bought the lie that marriage is sort of the only way of, um, uh, showing one's maturity or of becoming mature. Mm. And uh, all of those things are in fact lies. That doesn't mean marriage can't be an aid to maturity. Sure. It can. Right. Right. But Jesus is single, uh, and I think he's a mature human being. I could go on, but that's some of my thoughts.
1: No, I it's, it's really, it's really fascinating, especially when you kind of see what, I just saw this article yesterday that, you know, the Pope has made these comments now that kind of have has almost indicated that he believes the celibacy of the priesthood is incorrect.
2: Mm, I haven't um, seen
1: that. Yeah, and and it was not an indication he was going to make a try to make a papal change or anything of that nature, but that he talks about celibacy as a as a uh, not eternal thing. But a, a, it was supposed to be a for a time, a time-limited space, which is really interesting when we talk about that whole kind of needing corrections, right? Like, here's, here's the Pope going, wait a second, maybe we've taken this too far to the extreme in the way that we think about singleness. But it, it really is interesting because I think for Protestants, especially those who hold to things like inerrancy of Scripture, they read Paul... And then they read when Paul says this when he's starting talking talking about marriage, talking about singleness, and then he says something like, "This is me," and I'm saying to you that singleness is better, like, yeah. right? <laughs> All of a sudden, inerrancy goes out the window, and they go, "Well, that's not actually divinely inspired, right? That's just Paul saying whatever Paul wanted." Wait, wait, is it is it or is it not? Right? Like we we throw it out because it just doesn't fit with the paradigm that many have kind of learned within their Protestant traditions that marriage is the highest calling of humanity, right? Be, be fruitful and multiply. And you have to be married in order to do that. Uh, Cause it's always about kids. It's not about how are you fruitful and multiplying within the world, the mission and the kingdom of God. Right.
2: Um, I mean, it says be fruitful and multiply, go and share the good news. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to have babies. I mean, babies are good. We love them, but evangelism, that's what we're for.
1: Yeah. yeah it's it's just so it's really interesting how we kind of like when you when you take this conversation, it's so layered, right? like it's we we keep thinking, oh, you know and I think for me in the kind of coming out of the fundamentalism that I've kind of come out of, it's always really interesting to kind of step back a second and go, why is it again that that happened or why is, because it's so easy to demonize without the conversation, right? like to actually say why do we think about marriage the way that we do and not recognizing there is this long tradition of singleness and marriage and now that really long tradition of singleness is actually coming back around towards marriage somehow like these conversations aren't once and for all conversations as we often try to make them right
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you know for those of us who have some responsibility for steering these ships um the christian ships our homes our churches our our work uh we're called a wise course correction, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's no small thing, right? Charting a course, uh, recognizing when you're too close to this danger over here and you need to go a little bit this way. Um, And uh, wisdom is required for that course correction uh, and we, we need to seek it.
1: Yeah. I have a strange question for you to wrap up our time. What question have I not asked you like what? What in the world of things of this conversation have been like? You know what you needed to ask was this, so I'm gonna tell you the answer.
2: I think I've been just jamming in whatever I want. Along so
1: <laughs> it's been I, great. I'm
2: not, I'm not feeling a real loss here. I, I, I think I think uh, we're good. So.
1: Well, I've really appreciated this. It's been eye opening. I love following, like I said, your work. Your especially in in relation to this conversation, but all of your other work too. Um, I don't get to teach as much in the classroom as I used to, but I miss engaging with your works when they come out, especially for undergrads. But, uh, how can people, I've teased your Twitter and teased them, the book. but how can they follow you, uh, kind of engaged with the work that you're doing and what books here, where should they get them? And what books should they get if they're interested in these conversations?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm Beth Felker Jones, uh, Felker F-E-L-K-E-R, uh, uh, all one word, all over the internet. Uh, so Beth Felker-Jones on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Insta. Uh, I have a Substack newsletter uh, you can sign up for for free, uh, Beth Felker-Jones uh, at Substack. Um, and uh, you can find my books on Amazon as well uh, to, by by looking for that name or other places where you buy your books more ethically if you're the kind of person who has that energy. So. Yeah,
1: I I wish I did. <laughs> me too that, really that
2: free fast shipping is it's a good teaser yeah
1: I've, I've done the it makes me icky but I've done the thing where I've actually started moving towards ebooks only I, because of searching and research it's so much easier
2: it took me a while but yeah um and just not cluttering up my shelves right my office is too full and um that search function is sure fun If
1: I, if I turn this camera this way, all you see are books stacked (laughs) because none of the bookshelves fit the books. So, and then the closets are, and it's just getting a lot. So, um, again, thank you so much for this. It's been wonderful. uh, And I hope that we can have you back sometime in the future.
2: Thanks for the conversation. Enjoyed it. Blessings.